Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Radio check. Loud and clear. KSL Sports and KSL Podcast present Mode Push, an American view of F1, starting now. Don't stop. He's going to cut with his Odyssey. I've guessed it. I've absolutely guessed it. I enjoyed this so much. Thank you. Thank you. Everybody, welcome on in. It's another edition of Mode Push, the American view of F1. It's our little, it's our little uh, boutique podcast. Dan Jimenez across from me. I'm Alex Curie. Thanks for being with us. I don't want to diminish it in any way. It's not little. That's what my father-in-law says about like, how's your little radio show going? I'm like, well, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, I'm only 18 years into this thing. Hopefully, I'll make right. it work one yeah. of these days. Yeah, yeah. That's where we're at. We've got to make this little thing go. But, you know, part of it is because we just we just love the sport. It's become really fun to follow. And and we're getting down to the last few races of the year. Interlagos coming up this weekend, so we'll have a preview of that. On top of all of it, Dan, um, did you buy your, your Las Vegas Grand Prix tickets? Because, you know... We're getting this close to the rest of America really jumping into F1. We saw the Red Bull, or I think it was the. I think there were a couple different cars that were driving through casinos. Through casinos, yes, past uh, the 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 uh, blackjack tables, past the blackjack tables, and I just thought that is brilliant. It's amazing, great marketing. It's it's wild too because it's very Vegas, and uh, I was m- massively disappointed, even being an Amex, uh, an American Express card holder, going. I have early access to this thing, and the tickets are twenty eight hundred bucks a piece or whatever it was. And I thought, oh shoot, they got they they sold me on that, but there's no freaking way I'm going to buy a twenty eight hundred dollar ticket to uh, an American uh, race here. So how on earth are we going to get how how are we going to watch the Las Vegas Grand Prix, Dan? Oh, how are man. we going to see this thing? We are going to have to somehow get uh, I don't know helicopter ride. Maybe <laughs> we could contract one of those helicopters that does the uh, grand canyon tours and we can just fly over top just circle it yeah i had sticker shock i was i don't know what i was expecting i guess my my baseline was you know i paid like a thousand dollars for the three-day pass to singapore and i was like that's gotta i mean i felt like that was probably on the high side and then it was like twice that for an equivalent seat in the grandstands in vegas and i was like ugh, like i know i paid a lot to like fly to singapore but i don't know vegas I I just I think that it's going to be uh, complicated the first year. I just think putting on a race in the middle of Las Vegas, like just the logistics of 
getting people around the track to have like a good race day experience, it's going to take them, I think, a year or two to really figure that out. And so I'm kind of more of the like, let's give it uh, a couple of years uh, and then go. So Dan, that's, that's where on. I'm at. I don't want to hear that. Give it a couple of years. <laughs> I don't know if I have a couple of years, man. I, I, I want to go to Austin. I think I haven't been to Austin yet. And I think watching the last race reminded me that like that produces really good racing. And that like third uh, sector concourse area of like turns 13 through 17, right. you get to see a ton pretty of long, action. Pretty long. Uh, from, one, from one place. Yeah. I was like, man, if I'm going to spend my money again to go on a race in the States, I'm probably going to pick Austin before Vegas. But it's my birth city. Okay, I, I thought, but it, but it also looks really boring. <laughs> like <laughs> when you see shots of Coda, aren't you like it's kind of boring out there? I mean, everything in Texas is flat. It's, it's, it's just, just yeah, like, in the middle of flat Texas. I guess that's we could for also. Sure. I, I get listen. In an era when we build our lives around like food trips, you know, that's true. Yeah, this would be it'd be perfect. You go to Salt Lake, you go to Franklin's Barbecue or whatever, and then you go to Coda, and then so maybe that is the best move for us. Is next year we hit the. Uh, but I don't know what ticket prices are like there in Austin either. I did see some yeah. some of the Mexico prices. It's actually really cheap. Well, uh-huh. sorry, let me yeah. go back. It's not. It's not relatively cheap. speaking. Relatively speaking, uh, to go to Abu Dhabi, like oh. it, when you huh. some of the like I was looking at the last race of the year, and I think there were three day passes for five six hundred bucks, and I was yeah. like, and again, like I said, that's that's a lot of money still. Um, but I think if you were to really, I, I think I'm going to get stuck in the second. I know. I'm going to look at least for next year, but you're the one who actually went out and you found some secondary, like secondary market tickets, right? For yeah, uh, for for the Singapore Grand Prix because this is one of the most ripped off segments in sports ticketing is mm-hmm. F1 races, mm-hmm. getting fake tickets, getting ripped off by somebody who's not really a vendor. So they have wisdom on how to do it. So what what's the what's the wisdom on actually looking for tickets at a place that's a real third party vendor? Because I just don't feel like I'm going to be able to get even the you know the, yeah. the F one. Yeah, you know, I remember we when we looked it up. There were two or three websites that I believe I found on, listed on like Formula One dot com as like approved secondary vendors. And the one we used was GP Tickets. It's out of Austria, and yeah, the process was good. Um, it, it went totally smooth. So uh, I would just recommend googling like approved F one ticket vendors, and I think there was two or three that came up. Um, and we could put them in the show notes, but I I think that uh, that's the way to do it, I would be really scared of buying it anywhere else because, like you said, like these things on their own looked pretty sketchy when we were buying them, but it worked out. Apparently, they were like real, yeah. Well, I mean, you think about it and you go, because I'm not in- interested actually in Miami. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not. I, I'm not interested in paying two thousand dollars to go see an F1 race when, and that's not the way you get Americans excited about uh, sport either. Mm-hmm. I guess. It's on brand with the rest of what F1 is, which is a bunch of rich folks like yeah. sitting around and, and competing. And yeah, glamour, yeah. Just, it feels like some motorized polo, you know, or something where it's like we've turned into this thing where it's like the people who are going to pay to watch this thing, we can get them because we know they'll pay that price. Yeah. That's, a, that's a bummer. Yeah. One interesting thing I, I just realized this week is that um, the race promoter for the Vegas Grand Prix is Liberty Media. And that's the first like that's the only one. Everyone else has like local country promo- like oh, promoters. Really? Yeah. And so I would just assume if you're the media rights holder, you would be promoting every race as it is, but Yeah, so it I like this one Liberty Media is going all in on and it's it seems like they bought a 250 million dollar parcel of land in the middle of Vegas to build uh the paddock on and like they're going all in 
on That is a ton Vegas. of money. Yeah. Well, you think about, I mean, they had a race, they had a Grand Prix in Vegas. It was like in the parking lot of Caesars. Crappy. It yeah. was garbage. So, uh, you know, obviously they have to change the way things are done and they're going to have the, the circuit that they showed, you know, is, is wild because it's, it's, it's just straight up and down the, the strip, right? Mm-hmm. And behind the strip and. So yeah. it'll be visually, it's going to be awesome. The drivers will probably be pretty bored. I was thinking, like, how could we make it a more exciting race? Like, maybe like some Mario Kart elements of like the <laughs> banana, banana peel on the track, <laughs> but maybe it's like those pamphlets that are always hanging out on the sidewalk, and you just like throw a pile of those in front of Max as he comes couple, through. Like, like you know, somebody's holding up the timing boards, and then you have the ladies <laughs> That's smacking right. the cards. And these guys, hey, yeah, you want that, a taxi? Yeah, Free maybe taxi. some surprise elements there might uh, improve the racing. Uh, it. Either way, I want to get excited about F1 coming to America. It just seems like such a steep entry price, yeah. you know. We'll keep an eye on the on the secondary and see All right. what prices. We'll do. keep people updated too, because if we can find something that's a, a relative deal, then that'd be really good. Maybe we should. You know, what we should do. We rope KSL Sports into this thing, and we do a giveaway. Oh yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. we can get some sponsors in on this. We get this whole thing going. We'll do a giveaway. Yeah. Uh, did you see the um, – you were talking about, like, the the kind of exhibition they did of having the Red Bull go through the middle of the casino. An actual casino, yeah. And then they had them going up and down the strip, the uh, under like the undercar lights. Did you see yes. that? And Those somebody, are cool. Somebody was even saying they're like – and obviously it was – it's not going to be a thing, but that looked – I mean, night races are freaking cool anyway, right? right? Where you look at that and you go, that'd be awesome. Why wouldn't it be able to would – would that be totally against regulations if they just for one race go, hey – have that Red Bull be that blue, that bluish purple that's kind of their color. Yeah, I mean that teal AMG. You know when Mercedes goes by the bright red underneath a Ferrari, like freaking a man, that's awesome. Oh yeah, from a branding perspective, the teams love it. It'd be great. I think you could definitely pull that off. Um, I mean, they already mandate how many cameras they have to have in the car and stuff. So I think putting a strip of LED lights with a controller on it, like it'd be cool if it had like the brand color, you know, most of the time. But then if they were, you know, deploying hybrid power at like flashes or something like i think it'd be cool to like if it kind of conveyed some amount of information during the race too to see what the lights were doing what does it i was actually wondering that because i thought that it was just like oh they're breaking that's why the light's blinking there on the back yeah yeah and then when is it that they're recharging when is it when they're gathering power or whatever it is when they kind of go yeah so i think it's it's when they're regenerating that power is when it flashes unless it's raining then everybody's i think is always flashing um, I believe that's that's the rule. And I think the reason they do that for safety is when you're regenerating power, uh, you're going to be decelerating at a greater speed. And so I think it's it's a safety thing for the driver behind to know that, OK, this guy's gathering power going into this corner. So he's probably going to break a little bit harder than what, you know, he would otherwise. So I think that like that light on the back is mostly there for safety. But I think for right. like fans, it would be cool if like the, the they had underlights on the cars that you knew like what the different colors meant that what the driver's doing to the car or something well and and you know like from a visual standpoint when you see a car it's hard to depict the speed on television mm-hmm. especially through like those low speed corners you're going oh they're going four and a half miles an hour here and you're like no they never get below 60 and you're like what you know yeah. like mm-hmm. it's insane to see the speeds that these guys keep even through these corners uh and so i think that i think that being able to follow a race and kind of understand really how insanely quick these cars are uh it would just be it'd be a lot more fun to something needs to be added i think for the the element of of like hey if they're going to roll this thing out and and have a bunch of america what you're going to have is a bunch of mainstream Mm -hmm. 
American sports fans who are just going to dip in because it's Vegas and because they're like, oh, I've heard a lot about this thing. And, and Liberty Media is going to be pumping this thing hard on ESPN, et cetera. So I'm just wondering, like, how this thing is going to turn out and what it will actually be for, uh, you know, a place like uh, a place like Vegas and a place like the U.S. going forward with, with F1. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was looking, too, and I'm looking at a picture right now in front of the – front of the uh the Parisian hotel here and they had the whole they had the big they had the big uh you know they, they had huge crowds uh, yeah. gather around the scene on Las yeah. Vegas Boulevard and you were just like oh my gosh this thing looks so freaking cool to see it just is a weird thing to see like a uh, a Mercedes going down the strip and you're like that's that's what's really going to be happening here so yeah. there you it's go it's really cool uh and it's a good time to do it because they had that week between uh the Mexican Grand Prix and the Brazilian Grand Prix, which is where we're going now. So on to Brazil, uh, Lewis Hamilton's home race, I guess, you know, is a uh, dual citizen of both Great oh, Britain that's right. and yes. uh, <laughs> yeah, Brazil's newest citizen. Oh, yeah. But listen, it, it's the smartest move Brazil could have made. If you want to do this kind of thing, look, uh, jump on it. And uh, Max Verstappen, you're already a, a Belgian. How many how many citizenships can you hold? Yeah, he he's seems Belgian. Like he has three. He's, he's uh, German. Right? Is he really? I thought he was born in Germany. No, he's born in Belgium. Okay, he's born in Belgium. He's, um, you know, he's uh, he's from Holland. Like, that's where, yeah. he's Dutch. Like, yeah. that's where his he, parents are both from. But I think he was born in Belgium. Yeah. That's why when they go to the okay. Belgium Grand Prix, they're like, oh, this is his home race, I it's guess. Like, not really, yeah. Yeah, okay. so I don't know how many uh, citizenships you can hold, but it'd be smart to start doling them out to some of these F1 drivers, you yeah. know, to suddenly get, I mean, it's awesome I mean, too because. Yeah, Danny Rick should be a U.S. citizen at this point, He right? lives in California for nine yeah. months of the year, and, I, you know, props to him because he's one of the few who is like, I'll just pay my taxes, it's fine. Everybody <laughs> else is like, I live in Monaco for the sake of accessibility to the services uh, around Europe. You're like, get out of here. <laughs> you don't pay any uh, income taxes when you go there. So the Brazilian Grand Prix at Interlagos, what's the history of this track for people who yeah. don't know this track very well? Who does it play toward? Lewis Hamilton is like the second son of Brazil. Like they love that guy there, you know, mm-hmm. which would be nice after a weekend of him getting booed in Mexico because yeah. of Checo's home race there. Uh, Brazil is a, a really, really good race for Lewis. He's done fantastic there historically. It's also been a place that's later on in the calendar usually, and it's been a decider of mm-hmm. so many championships in the past. And uh, it's a really, really – it's a cool uh, – you know, it has obviously the the Ayrton Senna, you know, kind of vibe to it. And it has that draw, obviously, of the Brazilian crowd. But what does Interlagos for F1 and, and on this calendar mean? Yeah, for a long time, it was the last race of the season. And so that's where we were crowning the champion. And there's, like you said, there's been some really dramatic races there. I went back and watched the highlights of Lewis's first championship. I think it was 2009, 2008, 2009. Um, when, and I remember watching that race live. Uh, and um, it was coming down to either Felipe Massa or Lewis. And uh, Massa, Brazilian, you know, home, homeboy, right. you know, hometown favorite. Mm-hmm. Started on pole in the Ferrari and led every single lap of that race, but Lewis had to finish fifth or better or something like that in order to to take the championship. And uh, there's just this really dramatic uh, moment on the last lap that Felipe Massa crosses finish line, you know, wins the race, and Lewis at that point. When Massa crosses the finish line, Lewis is in like seventh or sixth or something. He's not going to win. He's going right. to lose by one point. It's the famous yeah. when Ferrari's cheering. In, the, yeah, uh, everybody in the garage is, in Ferrari's going in crazy because like we just won the championship, right? And then somehow Lewis gets past Timo Glock, and there's like speculation that Timo let him by. Like he just in the very last corner, Lewis gets Timo, 
and he wins the championship. So you have these two. I just remember sitting there watching the split screen of Mercedes and Ferrari both celebrating that they had won the championship at the right. same time. And then there's like somebody taps like the team boss on the shoulder in Ferrari and he stops and you just see it set in that they right. realize that they had lost Felipe it. Felipe Massa's wife is like there and she's like, <laughs> what? And, and, and it was really bad too because someone's going through and basically like, it's like the guy from Ferrari starts going through, starts like shoving people. He's like, no, he's like, it's wrong. <laughs> Stop <laughs> celebrating. He's like, we just got beat. And they point at the screen and they just go, huh? Like, what? <laughs> yeah. So that, like, that's kind of my memory. Has some cool my core memory there. around Interlagos. And, and then uh, rain. Like, yeah, that's the other rain. thing is that, like, the rain comes and goes and it messes up people's strategy and people go off. You had Lewis, like, with a comeback win, uh, I think, last year. You had uh, the year where he um, kind of, I think he hit Sergio, knocked Sergio out of the race right there at the end. Um, so, and rain is in the forecast for this weekend too. It's, it's later than it usually is even, uh, in, in it's like historically where it's been. And I guess they said November, it's like an insane amount of, of rain. Rainy season. Yeah. And so interested to see, and this is a sprint, this is a sprint race week, mm. uh, race weekend as well. And so you've got, um, Kind of some added bonus uh, points in there as well as guys are able to earn. You know, the qualifying turns into that that uh, hundred kilometer race that they end up having on Saturday. Yeah, and that's your qualifying. Technically, you have qualifying that's normal that actually qualifies you for the sprint race, and the sprint race actually you can earn points in all the way up to eighth place, and then um, the actual race is decided or the, the race start is decided by uh, how that sprint race uh, finishes up with the points the way they are right now. What's interesting, because I look at kind of the standings and I go, all right, so here's what we have. I, I've got it here in front of me. Max Verstappen, of course, walks away with this thing, but you have five points that separate um, Sergio Perez and and uh, Charles Leclerc, and then you've got Russell, who's 40-ish points behind that, Lewis Hamilton, who is uh, another 15 points behind that, and then uh, Carlos Sainz is all but out of this thing, four points behind uh, uh, Lewis Hamilton. So... Is there any movement that really happens here? I mean, I think the question is going to be whether or not uh, Checo can can finish it second. That would be an amazing year for him. Um, but then Max, Max Verstappen, like, is, is it that important to him to get uh, – I mean, he already has the most points in the history of, of any driver any year. Most he, wins in a season. Right, and most yeah. wins in a season. But he's quick to point out, too, like we have way more races than they ever used to have back in the day. And right. the, points, the points that we dole out are, are a lot different, too. And so 416 points, great. It's record-setting, but also the amount of races that they have. It's different. What is the thing that you look forward to in a weekend like this? And I know that every race is singularly different and mm-hmm. fun to watch in its own right. But what are you going to be watching this weekend in terms of, like, battles going on on the track? Yeah, I think the uh, George Lewis-Carlos is a fight that's going to be interesting to watch. And then, obviously, Sergio Charles. And I think that those guys are still... Um, jockeying for position, uh, especially Mercedes trying to leapfrog Ferrari in the constructors' standings as well. And I like the sprint race it, with rain in the forecast. I cannot recall us ever having a sprint race in the wet. I think we, they've all been dry races, and yeah, so I wouldn't be able to recall either. And you know they're short enough that these guys they do the sprint race on one set of tires, like nobody's pitting. Right. And so if you get rain halfway through the race or something, like I think it'll be interesting to see what happens when these guys are having to change tires during a sprint race, what that does. And, you know, that just the water and just increases the risk of an incident. And, you know, these guys really want to avoid, you know, damaging their cars, right. And kind of getting put to the back of, of the race and that, or of the, of the sprint, um, 
you know, finishing order and then they are starting at the back uh, for the race. And so uh, it'll be interesting what uh, what people choose to do, especially if, if the water or if the, if the rain comes. Um, so that's what I'm looking for. I'm excited for the sprint race. I think there's still like a lot um, up in the air about the future of sprint races. There's going to be more next year. I think they said six sprint oh, races yeah. next year. So F1's still trying to figure it out. I don't think we've really figured it out yet. Well, they're trying to make Saturday more exciting, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the the bottom line is I don't really love the the point distribution either. I mean, it's essentially mm-hmm. what – it's it's basically a, a count back from eight, I think, or something. Mm-hmm. Like that. So it's like eight all the way down to eighth place gets one point, I think, or whatever it is, or maybe it's ten and then all the way down to one. But either way, it's not like – I mean, if you finish sixth or if you finish, uh, you know, eighth and you go, oh, one or two points in there, it doesn't really make that big of a difference. But I think that it does – there are going to be years that, it, that there are going to be some sprint races that make some decisive kind mm-hmm. of moves in those – in the constructors and in the and in the uh, driver's championship. I, still yet to be seen for me because I, I think initially I was like, oh, man, it's an actual race. It's a 100-kilometer race. It's a third of the length of, a, of an actual race. Right. If we're doing more racing, it's going to be more exciting. But I don't know how the drivers feel about it because they're like, we're doing a race for three hours tomorrow anyway or two hours tomorrow anyway. Yeah. I don't know how much they love the sprint races either, but it's extra points for them. So yeah, I haven't happen. heard any um, kind of resounding support coming from the drivers for it. But as fans, like, yeah, I'm, I'm much you know more likely going to tune in to watch – the sprint race live than I am qualifying on a Saturday. And so I think for F1, they want to continue to find a way to work it out. I'd, I'd be curious to see if they came in with like an ultra soft tire or something that like burns out in 10 laps so that like <laughs> it actually has to create a pit stop, right. you know, Some I think that, strategy inside that something like that where it mixes up the strategy, I think would be interesting to throw into the mix. Um, it's good. Like I, I'm glad that they actually look at it and go, what can we be more exciting with? We're going to have a bunch of new fans. We got to figure out how to make this thing more exciting. I think in the future, like you don't want to have race, you don't want to have championships that end, uh, you know, five weeks before the end of the before the end of the season. That's really really hard. It's hard to get people into it. And in American sports, that's what makes it so much. Well, and in really any sport across the world, it's it's fun when it comes down to, you know, a tournament, a championship, a yeah, playoffs. You know, yeah. If there's a playoff, I mean, they figured it out for NASCAR, right? They have right. A, they have a. Uh, you know, those standings that they do and you earn yourself into the championship. You saw how insane it was uh, that they had that NASCAR race that the guy launched himself oh, around man, my favorite moment uh, of the, the year. track. I mean, and just and, and I watched every angle. I listened to every radio call. One of my favorite things about all that was what was his name. Chastain was his Ross Chastain. Ross yeah. Chastain. He just goes, look, I'm just going to throw this thing into the wall. And that's the only way I'm going to be able to open up the accelerator all the it. way. Yeah, we'll see what goes on. And then he gets in. My favorite thing was watching these other drivers who just went, oh, man, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen, while they're in the car getting beat by him. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, all the radio like, chatter. Oh, my like, gosh. what? <laughs> they're all the So same. I guess that does work. Uh, the one just <laughs> threw himself across the finish line. Just, I love what they call it by the name of their car. And the yeah. southern accent just adds more to it. Oh, it's the best. Uh, the one just uh, just beat y'all. He just ran across <laughs> that thing. He goes, it just sounds amazing. Yeah, what I, yeah, like you had uh, Fernando Alonso retweeting that video saying this is the most exciting thing that's happened in racing in 2022. And I think he's right. Like, I I mean, I worked in NASCAR for a number of years. My brother worked in it for a lot longer than I did. We, you know, we've never seen anything like that. And both him and I, our first reaction when we saw the video independently was, I thought it was uh, in, like, fast forward. I thought yeah. they had sped the video up. And I'm like, why'd they speed the video up? That's weird. And then I saw the cars on the inside going the normal speed. And I'm like, no way that worked. No way. Because I intuitively, I would have thought he would have broken a right front suspension arm. Like, he would have hit the crossover gate. Like, right there in turn four, there's a gate that opens. Uh, and we're talking about Martinsville. And Martinsville is a short track. It's shaped like a paper clip. It's low banking. 
But in turn four, there's like a gate that opens for you to be able to cross from the outside of the track to the inside sure. of the track. And that crossover gate is like a, a weak point. And if a car hits right there, it can T-bone into the cement wall. Yeah. This is really dangerous. dangerous yeah. And so that's probably why no one's ever tried that, what he did, which was just ride along the wall and around the top. And you couldn't do it on one of the really high banking tracks it either. Wouldn't, I don't that's think it would be as advantageous. I think there's a lot of tracks where just you wouldn't get the speed differential well, like you do there. Well, I it shows you too, like in those races, like those guys – how much how active their braking is like through normal corners going into these yeah. things because when he's just open all the way up, and of course you couldn't sustain anything but the quarter of a lap that he did no you got one shot wall. at that like yeah <laughs> after it. that like he wouldn't make it through the next corner <laughs> right. so it's like you it's it's a one and done thing and he had you know he tried it and it worked and it was incredible i it was really cool to watch well, but there's some version of that i mean l- listen that's how qualifying works on a weekly basis right you earn yourself into that next mm-hmm. level earn yourself into the next level is there a way that F1 could take advantage of the of an idea of a playoff? That's what we're used to. We're used to a tournament style of everything to determine our right. champions. Yeah. Uh, whether it's a regular set of playoffs with a final at the end of it, that's yeah. how everything ends. And yeah. I think that that's how NASCAR is trying to figure out, like, hey, we got to kind of go that direction. Otherwise, we're going to have champions that end in the middle of the season already champions. No one is going to give a crap yeah. how this thing ends. Yeah. NASCAR went from what kind of F1 has right now, where it's just the accumulation of points over an entire season, to what's called the chase format in 2004. And they made that switch after like a huge consulting project with uh, McKinsey, I think it was. And it was basically like, how do we fabricate a playoff or like create a playoff atmosphere? And uh, there was a lot of pushback, I think, from, you know, the kind of old time fans originally like, oh, this is, you know, seems kind of fake. This isn't real racing. But, man, it created some really exciting finishes one of which I was on the receiving end of, like, not being the, like, like it sucked. Like, 2011, uh, I'm working at uh, Ford and Roush Racing. Carl Edwards is leading the champ, you know, so we have the chase. Carl Edwards leading the championship. Tony Stewart is right on our tail, and we finish. Tony finishes first, and Carl finishes second, and we lose the championship by a tiebreaker. And, like... I like cried myself to sleep that night. I was like, <laughs> I, you, I, like you can't, you know, be serious. So yeah, it creates a ton of drama, and it's been really exciting. So I think it's been um, a, a net positive uh, for NASCAR. So I mean, you saw it last week, like or two weeks ago, when Ross Chastain does that move in order to make the transfer spot to race in the championship race. He doesn't do that if it's He's you know out, the old yeah. point system, right? Well, and even in golf, which is a, it's a bunch of individuals, right, fighting yeah. for. A weekly pot, you know, mm-hmm. but they had to figure something else. So they, so they go, look, we're going to do these FedEx. We're going to do a FedEx, um, you know, standings where mm-hmm. basically the winner of these uh, of these most important tournaments, it's going to be you're going to win thirteen million dollars on top of mm-hmm. these other pots over here. So essentially, you have to make that those playoffs. You have to get into those things, and and, and even golf had to say, how can we make this more exciting? F1's got to figure out how to make it more exciting. Yeah. I'll, I'll be surprised if they don't do some sort of change. I think Liberty Media looks at this year and they're like, eh, you know, kind of sucks that Max ran away with it at the very end. But right, because if, last year you had a bunch of people jump in not knowing that this is their first yeah. year. It, it doesn't go down to the last lap of the last race yeah. ever. Yeah. So that's – but, but it and, would be exciting yeah. if it did. And it doesn't – yeah, it would be exciting if it did, but it would even be better if it was coming down to the second to the last race or something. Right. And we have the summer break already built in in August – so you could run normal season up through the summer break, come back from the summer break. Okay, playoffs have started. There's been some sort of reset of the points in a seeding based on how you perform during the regular season. And then it's a 10-race a sprint to the end um, that kind of just tightens everybody up. I think that 
I think that would be um, a great thing for for F one to do. And um, I don't know. We'll see if the uh, if the old timers at F one could uh, stomach that. The old timers. What's the deal with the? Uh, is Mick Schumacher going to be racing in F one next I year? I don't think so. What on earth? How does that work? I don't, I don't know, but uh, maybe uh, he's back with Audi. You know, so rumor today is that it's almost a done deal with Nico Hulkenberg to go to Haas, which is just incredible that he's going to be teammates with Kevin with Magnussen, yeah. right? That's going to be a, a dream made in Netflix heaven, you know? <laughs> sure. And but then you know, Mick, you're like good grief, like the kid's awesome. You know, he's not not he's not a bad driver. Like he's he definitely deserves to be on the grid. Nico Hulkenberg, how does the sponsor not want him? Right. Nico Hulkenberg is known as a guy who kind of doesn't really get it done, has had his shot, and yeah. has always been at the bottom third of the grid. Yeah, I don't get it. I don't know what Haas and, and Steiner are thinking, but uh, there's just a lot of rumors around with Audi coming in and taking that ownership position in Sauber and Alfa Romeo leaving in a year or two. Yeah. And then they'll just be Sauber for a couple of years, and then Audi, they'll be the Audi factory team in 2026, that Audi wants two German drivers. So everyone's fever dream is um, <laughs> that Mick – and Sebastian Vettel comes out of retirement. Seb, I mean, I said it this week that he was, you know, who knows what's going to happen. Never say never. Yeah. It's interesting because he also was like, I'm doing it my way. I'm walking away from this thing. And then he went to, he, hey, you can't rule out everything. Yeah. It's like weird. Yeah, you can't help but see that with the timing of the Audi announcement that you're like, hmm, you know, Audi comes in and says they want German drivers. They probably wave a big check in front of uh, of um, Seabass's face. And he's like, all right, well. <laughs> Uh, maybe I'll come back in a few years. Somebody picked up a video of Seb in the airport in Chile, making a connection just on a, on a regular commercial flight. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so, but he looked like just a he looks you know like a homeless like? person. He does. Yeah. He looked yeah. like a European backpacker. <laughs> yeah, like he's just like a hoodie and like some headphones and like a way too big for him backpack. Yeah. And th- you know, these are guys who are slight of size anyway. And somebody <laughs> picks him up and they they see him across and he's like sitting in. What looks like almost like a first class lounge kind of area, but he's just by himself. Yeah. He's just sitting there with his headphones on and they call his flight out and he goes and he boards. And I thought, this is Seb. And I guess maybe he's trying to do the responsible thing because he's he's been very critical of the amount of travel that they do in these private private jets, yeah. And how bad it is for the environment. And he was like, Yeah, look, if we're gonna really preach you know practice what we preach we're not going to all be on these i could also see that tied with 2026 and the new regulations with the sustainable fuels and more efficient cars that maybe with his own personal values around climate change that he could be like oh you know i'm going to come back to the sport when when we're driving more sustainable yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) all right that's another uh that's another week in the books here for us dan for uh our mode push podcast we're going to be back again breaking down uh interlagos this weekend how this thing shakes up I'm interested to see how it does become an, a, an interesting race, what the side stories are. So we'll bring you that breakdown, uh, and that episode will drop before your week of next week. So, Dan, thanks for coming up, man. Thank you. Uh, appreciate it. We're going to take the break here, and we'll be back again uh, for another uh, edition and another episode of Mode Push, the American View of F1, KSL Sports, KSL Podcasts. We'll be back again. 